Hi, I'm Amy Halpern-Lass. And I'm John Moscow. Welcome to Ethical Schools. Our guests today are Nia Morgan and Anahi Ortiz-Fierros. Nia is Interim Organizing Coordinator of the Urban Youth Collaborative, UYC, a youth-led coalition of New York-based organizations fighting for educational justice and police schools. Nia is also a member of the Education Justice Team at the Center for Popular Democracy, who supports similar campaigns across the country. Nia earned a JD at Columbia Law School. Nia is a youth leader with Make the Road Staten Island at the Urban Youth Collaborative. She graduated high school this year and will be attending Borough of Manhattan Community College in the fall. Welcome, Nia and Anahi. Thank you for having us. Thank you. What is the Urban Youth Collaborative? The Urban Youth Collaborative is a coalition of youth organizing groups across New York City. Our member organizations are Make the Road New York, both the Brooklyn and Staten Island chapters, as well as Sisters and Brothers United in the Bronx, Future of Tomorrow in Cypress Hills, which is in Brooklyn, and Rockaway Youth Task Force. So UYC recently put out a document that said while student arrests in New York City schools have decreased, Arrests, summonses, and juvenile reports still overwhelmingly target Black and Latinx students. Will you talk about what you found? Yes. So we've looked at the data that's come out over the past four years. That's the last, like, that was when we were able to win more detailed data reporting coming out of the NYPD. And it shows that, as you said, arrests and court summons have decreased. But we can also see that the racial disparities have not moved over 90% of all arrests, court summons, and juvenile reports, which is a more informal way of tracking youth interactions with police, those have consistently had over 90% Black and Latinx students each school year. And even with, like, there's some minor changes um, in percentages, but the vast and consistent majority of those are Black students but um, overall it's 90% Black and Latinx students. UIC has shifted its focus over the past few years from trying to improve the interactions between school safety officers or SSOs and students to demanding the elimination of all police from schools. Why did it make this shift? We've always taken our lead from, from our youth members and our end goal has always been police-free schools. We know that, that police don't make schools safe. In fact, they create a really traumatizing environment that they don't, they don't reduce violent instances. They don't demonstrably make schools any safer, but they do cause significant harms to students. We, so our end goal was always police-free schools. We've changed our demands now because of the, the moment and what has become possible in the past two months or so, and a willingness of more folks to really listen to youth and those directly impacted by policing and to help folks imagine what school safety and what safety in general looks like without police. Nahi, Nia was just talking about that the police, you know, don't make schools safer and that it's a traumatizing experience for a lot of students. Do you want to talk at all about any of your experiences or those of friends, either with police or school safety officers within schools or perhaps on the outside that, that impact on, on how, you're, how you see police? Yes, definitely. 
Specifically, I want to talk about the policing in schools. It has had, honestly, a negative effect on the students instead of a positive effect on which are they're like supposedly trying to push. Um, I've seen that police in schools really target like the non-English speakers, you know, and the Latinx community and the black and brown students. And every time I would go into school and there would be a non-English speaker student, they would they would act very aggressive towards them. They would yell at them and constantly repeat their question even though they knew that that student didn't speak English. And it was it was very frustrating because I would have to go and translate for some of these or they would just simply get in trouble just because they couldn't answer their questions. And um, honestly, it's just, it's very unfair to see that. And there's not many like social workers or therapists to like help out these students. And the language barrier is also like a really big, it's like a really big wall between them. Also, the way they have greeted the Latinx community, like I've seen parents come in and instead of them being, you know, respectful or anything like that, they instantly just, it's like interrogation to them. They ask for ID or whatever, and they're like, why are you here in such an aggressive manner? And when you know, teachers come up and say, hey, we know this family member, they're more, you know, they act more respectful. And it's just, uh, it's just so frustrating to see that, that they just have no respect towards us. Speaking of, you mentioned when teachers come up, what kind of interaction do you see, you know, between, say, principals and the school safety officers or other cops or teachers or other you know, school personnel? I mean, is there a sense that they have the final say or is it that the policing process is sort of totally separated from whatever else is hopefully going on in the school? I can say it is very separated. Teachers are always a little bit more lenient towards the students. They will always talk to them first. But whenever it's a police in the school, they will always act on you know, like a defense mechanism in a way. It's always hands-on first. And with teachers, it's always talking to students or if the principal comes, they're always like trying to calm the students down and just try to understand them. So it's, it's very different between them and especially guidance counselors too. Um, they can be very divided. Uh, there are some guidance counselors that do help, and there are the guidance counselors that kind of just follow the lead. The I'm sorry, the lead with policing. So it's very, it's very, it's very different. Do either of you expect to see any changes in what you've been describing as a result of last month's budget agreement in New York City that included a promised shift of school safety officers from the NYPD from the police department? To the Department of Education? I feel like not here since what was heard of I think like the last week we weren't really too happy about it it was really disappointing we're 
hopefully we're trying to push for a change and we're not going to stop even if you know they say otherwise but i don't really know it's very unclear right now because of what was said like last week so what specifically are you looking for in terms of change well i would definitely definitely love and well hope for if police was just um you know taken out of schools and instead they could really enforce youth programs social workers therapists some someone that a student can talk to instead of violence yeah as nie said we're really not expecting a change there's been more money put into school safety agents school policing coming from this budget there was no actual divestment because like there, there was no money taken away first of all but there also wasn't a reinvestment of that money into supportive programs like students really need. We know that the impacts of COVID-19 like affect more than just schools reopening and trying to figure out the logistics, but have had a serious psychological and educational effect on students. And what they need now are more folks to talk to them and more folks there to listen and support them rather than respond to any conflict punitively, which is what police do. What do you see across the country in terms of efforts to create police-free schools? There's been definite upswell in movements. There, there are some that have been going for years as well to push police out of schools. A lot of youth or organizations across the country have been pushing for this for a long time. Black Organizing Project in, in Oakland comes immediately to mind, but also Leaders Igniting Transportation Transformation in Milwaukee. And we've seen a lot of strides in the past two months or so. So cities such as M Milwaukee, uh, Minneapolis, Denver, Portland, Rochester, New York, they've been able to, to get cops out of their schools. Um, they've ended contracts with policing, there's, but there's still a lot more work to be done like LA hasn't really pushed anywhere near far enough. Seattle just put their contract on hold for a year. And in Salem, Oregon, we saw a lot of pushback from the local school board in particular uh, in the meeting where they talked about police-free schools. One of the school board members showed up in blackface, which was obviously not very encouraging to the student group there, uh, Luce, uh, Latinos Unidos Siempre. And they are going to keep fighting and pushing, just like we are in New York City for police-free schools. Could you explain a little more specifically what happened at the board meeting? Yes. So at the board meeting, one of the board members, he, uh, it was a Zoom meeting, and he was wearing a mask of a, a well-known basketball player who was Black over his face the entire board meeting. And it was treated as a joke, and he still has not resigned. Um, what was his point? That is a great question. I <laughs> do not know if there was a point beyond general opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement and a obvious disrespect and disregard for students of color pushing for police-free schools. And I understand that the president of that school board 
is married to somebody who is an avowed member of a far-right militant militia type yes. group. So it sounds as though the school board is not particularly open to Black Lives Matter. No, there's, definite, there's a definite need right now for leadership to really listen to youth voices and to move beyond just what, what they see as what, how they view safety and how youth are impacted and actually like hearing what students need instead of choosing to police them. Though Anai can speak to that obviously more than I can as someone who just graduated at high school. You've mentioned before we go on, because I obviously want to hear more of that from Anai, um, but you've mentioned in the past that Toronto is doing a lot better than a lot of other big cities. Do you have any details on that or how they're approaching things? I have not spoken at length with the folks in Toronto, but as I understand it, speaking to other activists in these spaces is that they view speaking of police in schools as a complete non-starter. They don't want that environment. That's not how they view safety. That's not how they envision a healthy ethical environment for schools and students. So they won't even talk about it. UIC supports the Solutions, Not Suspensions Act in the New York State Legislature. Uh, Could either of you describe what the act provides and and where it stands? Sure, I'll speak about it. Um, Maybe it's a little bit unclear on how I explain it, but um, I definitely do know that they are trying to minimize the suspensions from I think it was a whole year to 20 days I believe if I'm not wrong and they're trying to get rid of suspensions from kindergarten they're also trying to reinforce different like youth programs instead of suspending students and for like minor infractions they're trying to ban suspensions from that yeah just to add on a little bit it's to end the use of suspensions for K through three. And as on, as Anaya mentioned, really like limiting from 180 days to 20 days as the usual maximum length of suspensions. The teachers union in New York state is opposing this bill, arguing that it's an unfunded mandate and that the state should instead provide $3 million in grants to support alternative approaches to student discipline. Could you comment on that? Yes, I believe that one, it's, it's not, it's not a program to, that's mandating anything beyond the end of use of suspensions, the the limiting of 20 days, that there's no implementation program required as far as I understand. What the teachers union says, and what is actually needed is, it's not getting fully to the root of the problem, like true investment in restorative justice programs and programs that support youth take more than $3 million. In, in this budget moment, however, we've seen a massive shortfall in funding coming from the state that actually prevented CARES Act funding to go directly to local school districts because that's what the state used to fill in the backlog of budget. So we, we know that $3 million is not gonna do nearly enough. That said, students more than ever need to be able to stay in classes. They need to be able to stay engaged. They've been 
isolated in more ways than one educationally, socially. And now is not the time to push students out of classes, especially for minor infractions. Yeah, following up on that, I mean, teachers often want to remove students who are engaging in disruptive behavior from the class, you know, traditionally by sending them to the principal's office. Whereas restorative practices, you know, as you were just saying, call for getting to the roots of problems, you know, preferably within the classroom. Um, you know, what would be needed in terms of the professional development and changes of structures in schools to make this kind of shift on a widespread basis? And have you seen a commitment from, and specific from the New York City Department of Ed to provide any of this kind of professional development or organizational support for this kind of culture change in schools? Yes. So with, with things that need to change, there needs to be, I think, a shift on a fundamental level as to how teachers approach discipline issues they shouldn't be pushed out of the classroom for the minor infractions, tardiness, dress code violations, and subordination. There needs to be a shift from pushing them out to making sure that they understand why certain discipline issues are important. Pushing students out doesn't teach them anything. Pushing students out doesn't add to their development or support them. There has been a commitment in New York City to do so to expand restorative justice practices citywide to all middle school and high schools, to expand social emotional learning to the to elementary schools. Um, that was as of June of 2019. However, looking at the current budget, it looks as if professional development in these areas have been completely defunded. We don't know where where the funding went for restorative practices, the, the three-year timeline for implementation, which already was, let's say, overly ambitious goal for truly implementing restorative practices has been completely thrown out the window. We don't know when that could be possibly restored. And there's just no support in this budget for those deep cultural changes that would create the transformation necessary for these punitive practices to be phased out. How do we make sure everyone in the school is safe? Well, like I said before, we should take like mental precautions. I, I guess that's the way I can explain it. Like have people that are trained, as we said before, like social workers, therapists, people that can actually sit down and they know tactics on how to calm the student down and you know have their own like ways to help out the student and make sure that also the teachers are on check and they know some some tactics you know to just talk to the student basically yeah what I also think Anahi is getting to is the need to de-escalate situations to not respond with the harshest punishment immediately to avoid those kind of clear tolerance atmospheres and really build community and make sure that those who are responding do so in a culturally like appropriate manner, mm -hmm. do so in a way that reaffirms the humanity of students. And I, what, did, what did the youth in UIC say about metal detectors in the schools? 
well, they we have definitely agreed on the fact that um, it just instantly criminalizes us, you know? It just feels like you're stepping into a prison and they're just instantly saying, hey, like, you guys are most definitely criminals. You guys most definitely are planning something in your head. And it just just makes the scene, makes us feel as if the students are just being targeted to, like, basically put the schools as if, like, it's a prison-type setting, you know? We just go in, get checked, and get out, you know? Yeah, to to that, one of the one of our youth members in Rockaway has like told told me a story of just how arbitrary these uh, male detectors really are. So she in her backpack was carrying a fork because one does when mm-hmm. they like want to eat lunch or anything like that. And as a lot of people do, she forgot it was in her bag, and she kept like it was just in her bag for a while. She went through the same school school door building where they had male detectors. For a few days, there was no issue. She went in a different entrance and then they caught the fork and they said that she either had to throw it away or leave the school building. She would have been prevented from attending class because of the fork. Um, And a way that is truly just ridiculous, not because we don't understand the, the supposed function of these mal detectors, but in the impact like on students the arbitrariness of the male detectors themselves also there's what we there's no conclusive evidence that male detectors make students safer so that particular student's experience is really gets to I think the heart of just how male detectors don't need to be in schools so are there things Nahi and Nia are there things that either of you would like to add the things that you've already talked about. Um. Yeah, about the metal detectors, uh, I agree with Nia. Um, there have been a lot of cases where it could be a belt or literally like something from like a purse, and they would make such a big deal out of it. It, it was crazy. And I remember this one time, they stopped me. I don't know what I had in my bag. I think it was some art supplies that I had and I was you know making my way to class and they stopped me because the machine whatever did its thing and that ended up me being late to class and my teacher was just like teachers were just so mad about the fact that they that we had to go through these metal detectors because of the fact that we were just losing like time in class you know it it was really frustrating and irritating because we would try to explain to them and they would just, you know, they'd be like, okay, but don't be late. And we would be like, okay, but like, we just can't, like, there's no way to stop that. Is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah. I always just want to end again on what, what youth have told me and how their experiences really, really just drive like not only like our demands, but also like why we keep at this fight. We've had, a couple meetings with elected officials, with Department of Education staff members, and what has come out of those conversations, like what the youth have said, what we what they've said in meetings over even the past year that I've been with UIC has shown that 
the impacts of police in school on them directly is so deep and so long lasting. And the continual investment in school police, like attempting to say that things are going to change with a transfer when we, we know that attempting to retrain police officers in the general context just doesn't work to change behavior. It's something that is extremely frustrating and disheartening and honestly en enraging. Like students have been handcuffed in front of peers and walked down the hall. They've been harassed by police officers as they go in and out of buildings. They've lived through years of repeated trauma in schools that have been sanctioned and praised. Like those jobs have been protected above all others really. And they have siblings that are still in school, even if as they graduate, as they've been fighting, they, they see that not much has actually changed in how they experience their schools and how they interact with police. And as they leave school, they know that their younger siblings are gonna go through the exact same thing that they are. We are so beyond the time for change. We are so beyond the tipping point of needing to understand that youth experiences have to come first and youth needs have to come first in education. And that includes a lot of things, but one of the first steps is police-free schools. This has been very powerful. Thank you, Nia Morgan and Anahi Ortiz Fierros of Urban Youth Make the Roads Staten Island and Center for Popular Democracy. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating or review. This helps other people to find the show. Check out our website, ethicalschools.org, for more episodes and articles, and subscribe to our monthly emails. We post annotated transcripts of our interviews to make them easy to use in workshops or classes. We work with consultants to offer customized SEL programs with a focus on ethics for schools and youth programs in the New York City area. Contact us at hosts at ethicalschools.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ethical Schools. Our editor and social media manager is Amanda Denty. Till next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.